Get personal with loyalty, where we're discussing using loyalty to deliver personalized, relevant customer experiences. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Get Personal with Loyalty. Today, I'm here with Michael Sidarzewski. He is the VP of Innovation and Technology at Tandem Theory. Welcome, Michael. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you here today. Always like to hear what's what's new out there. To get started, why don't we start with your background? How did you end up in this loyalty space? I know you guys are much more of a broad loyalty space than we are here at Annex Cloud, where we're more programmatic. But still, it's all about the customer, right? Absolutely is. And the reason that how I landed at Tandem Theory with that title of innovation is I started building technology companies in the early 90s, maybe 94, 95. If anybody remembers that time, there were probably 35 million people total on the internet and it just started to become commercial. So it was kind of a, a cloud or a vacuum of opportunity back then. But the first thing that we built was we built an apartment search product. Then we got into coupons and classifieds, things like that. And then as the 90s moved on, I built a dating site uh, with a friend of mine. We sold that in, in 1999. Learned a lot about a lot about monetization during that process and kind of figuring how to in- engage with people that are paying for things because the other things were free, right? Um, in 2001, we built a DIY website builder. You think of Wix and Squarespace and things like that. We built a similar technology that we ended up selling in 2007. And so learned a lot more about the the consumer and what their needs are. And then had to build in these technologies that we're talking about today with loyalty and merchandising and those things. And when I say we built it, I actually wrote the code. So so there's wow. the high level understanding of what loyalty is. And then there's the deep in the weeds, the writing the SQL commands and all those things. And so that's also me. In the mid 2000s, I built a company called Callisto, which we later named Epic Playground. Callisto was a real-time audio and video analytics application. It was JavaScript, a line of JavaScript. You throw it on your website. The technology would look for any audio or video on the site and show the the producer the where people were dropping off and all those ones. Everybody knows about that today. But in 2012, 2011, when we were building this, it was, it was pretty fresh. And then that company, the, the last thing that I did, uh, pivoted that company into the, the direct mail space. And what I did was I combined a location with web traffic. And we were one of the first to combine the two to be able to take that geolocation, check and see if the address was a single family home. If it was, then our brands could drop a direct mail piece based on the the user's journey and drop a direct mail piece into the home of the mailbox. And so that was the last technology play that I did after that. After I shut that down, I ended up joining Tandem Theory and here I am. Wow. I know we've got a whole agenda for what we want to cover today, but now I'm like, wait, there's so many interesting things you've done that I want to talk about. But what I think is fascinating is I've had a lot of people on on, on the podcast and many of us working in the 90s, like, like you were, and most of the people start there talking about direct mail and how now they're digital. And you've always been digital and now you use digital to go back to direct mail, which yeah. I think is is really interesting. And I think now because we don't get as much direct mail anymore, I think the impact there is is so much stronger. Is, is that part of what you were seeing and why you guys did that? Yeah, I primarily did that because the studies of the time are if you have if you're familiar with the brand, if you know the brand and you get a piece of direct mail from a brand that you want you're much more likely to engage with it. And by engaging, it just means simply as you're sorting through it, pause on it and look at it for a second, right? Before you throw it all in the bin. And that was really the direction that I wanted to take that company and that particular product was, let's take brands that have, maybe they're not doing direct mail at all. They don't have that touch, but we know 
based on the product that they were on the website. They already, they've already engaged with the brand in some way. So when that direct mail piece arrives in, in their mailbox, they're going to engage with it. They're going to see it. And we were able to prove that out pretty well. The challenge that we had with that company was it was small and we had some pretty large competitors that entered the market that were well-funded directly after us. I missed the patent by, I think it was about a week on that technology and it just drove me bananas. But that was what it was. It was how can we how can we bring brands that maybe aren't even in direct mail into that space and do it efficiently? You know, we we would send one piece per thousand that our competitors would in the direct mail space programmatically, right? Or not programmatically, but the traditional means. And we were as effective. And so that it was a beautiful technology. And just real quick, I started my career in the print world. So that was in the 90 or the the late 80s. I was in the print and design world, the graphic design world. So I did Ruby lists and plates and all those things before the digital technologies came around. So full circle. Yeah. I remember I remember doing creating brochures on the plates. <laughs> exactly. Wow, that, exactly. We've kind of forgotten about that. I know I do love the opportunity that I think direct mail has today, which in a sense, because it makes the impact that you're talking about. And it has the ability to do that because obviously people aren't doing as much of it because it's more expensive. But I also, part of the topics that we want to talk about today around personalization is we're still not seeing personalized experiences in the digital space as much as we could, given where we are with technology that's at our fingertips today. I mean, inboxes are overflowing, so nothing is really making an impact, yet something that comes into my mailbox today it does. I mean, I get my Nordstrom notes and I'm jazzed about it. And I get offers from American Express that are just beautifully done. And it, I have to go see what their what special offer do I have in there? <laughs> yep. Yeah. The, I think our challenge now is, is when we were building in the 90s, we were able to do pretty much whatever we wanted to do with the technology on the back end from a tracking standpoint. Right. And there were some companies that really took that to the edge, like a Spokio. Spokio does some really odd things. I'm sure they've cleaned it up today, but there's a lot of data in that platform. But now we've got regulators. Now we've got governments that are kind of putting caps on what we're able to do with and, and having permissions and data longevity and you know, how long can we keep that stuff around. And so even our transactional histories as consumers goes away by law. And so we have to be mindful of that too. But you know, the one thing we kind of talked about before the show started was the advertising world, when you're doing an ad, a loyalty ad to a group of, of people that you know are engaged in your product, you know that when you place an ad, a digital ad anywhere, it's really difficult for the consumer to let the brand know that they're they're not, they don't need to see that ad anymore. There's no way for the consumer to give feedback to the advertiser that they are no longer a part of that thing. So that's just one of the stressors as somebody who's, you know, placing media in the market is is making sure that you're not inundating your loyal customers with stuff they don't need. Right? That's another problem. So, so do you, we really didn't talk about your role yet, but in your role, is that something that you're guiding clients on? We know as consumers, we all get those ads and sometimes it can be a little frustrating. And to your point though, it would also be nice to be able to say, hey, I already made that purchase. <laughs> you don't need yeah. to beat me up. You're wasting your money right now. Go use it on somebody else. Do you have some solutions or ideas on how to help brands through that situation? Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the largest growth areas in the past year and a half, two years is first party data, right? We've been thinking in terms of marketing and everything about third party data up until the past few years. First party data is really where that, that rubber starts to hit the road because you know when somebody buys that that product, they buy it through your website or they buy it through some sort of a campaign where you've got your 
and you know your campaign code and that comes back and you can say this person actually purchased this item the next time you go to pull that list of consumers to target with an advertisement it shouldn't be included in that list anymore so to your point we have the technology to exclude people from certain offers direct mail we were talking about you should know that this address now owns this appliance don't send them this direct mail piece right um, and so I think that's a simple thing to do. We, we haven't talked a lot about tandem theory at this point, but it is a data focused, data first agency. And those are the kinds of things that we do coach clients through. Thank you for that. And since you kind of teed that up, why don't you share a little bit more about tandem theory and, and specifically your role there? It would be great to let everyone know about. Yeah, tandem theory experience. This is one of my favorite things about this company is we experienced a tremendous amount of growth through COVID and through the work at home era. As soon as as soon as COVID hit, you know, the, the decision was made by leadership to everyone's working from home now. Now we're using our office as a co-working space. If you want to come in, you have a client meeting, something like that. We really spend a lot of time there in those regards. But that culture has even persisted today. And so there's no push to go back to the office. We have three T's. I don't know if, if that's been mentioned before. The three T's are, are teamwork, transparency, and trust. And uh, those are not only for theorists, as we as we call our fellow employees, those are also for our, our customers and for our clients. And so if we don't have that sense of trust with our clients or they don't trust us, if we give them errant information or false information or whatever, then they don't come back. They don't, they don't hang around with us. The other thing that I love about this agency is almost all of our customers are referrals from existing customers. And so that's just a remarkable thing. And that, that tells you a bunch about quality of work that we do and, and the, the level of effort we put into each, each client. Well, that's wonderful. It's exciting. And, and, and you guys coach clients and to kind of talk about from my perspective versus yours, where we are loyalty, programmatic loyalty, because we are loyalty tech and we don't offer additional services. So we're very focused on that. But you guys are out there coaching clients across, is it safe to say, like their entire customer experience? Uh, in some cases, it's the entire customer experience. Sure. We have a, we definitely have a a focus in CRM and analytics. Those are definitely two parts of the agency that are strong. We also have a, a deep creative team. The, the founders of this agency had another agency that they founded that I think the employee count got up to about 800. Right now, we're a little over 100 in our agency. And so we've got, you know, we're starting to see these really nice, you know, these nice teams form. So when we have an ask, we had a client come in last week, Friday, with a, a big ask to push something out on Monday nothing we've ever done before. And our creative team using AI and using generative AI tools is able to just put this thing together. Client understands that it's all generative AI and that we're utilizing those tools, but we're able to turn this thing around in no time. And so that's, we're talking about what the specialties are, but we also have these little one-off things that we, we really enjoy doing. And those are the things that keep us kind of on the innovative side, back to innovation. Awesome. <laughs> I love that story. I don't think we were going to plan to get into depths of AI today, but it, I think we're all using it and, and seeing how we can just get everywhere we want to get to quite a bit faster. A little bit quicker. That's right. Yeah. So right. if we go back and, and think about this, you know, the concept of personalization, and you talked about many brands' reliance on third-party data. And I think we do a lot of work in retail, and I think they had a focus on that. But I think it seems like FMCG and manufacturing and that area was almost relying on it much more than a lot of other verticals. And I suspect been probably scrambling to make a lot of changes to try to understand who their actual end user customer is. So 
I guess what's going on and how are you seeing these or how are you coaching these companies on responding? And don't I suspect it's something that they can't just turn on a dime. There has to be some pretty big planning and understanding of, okay, how are we changing our approach? How are we changing our strategy? What is this going to do? And and what else do they need to know? Because I suspect there's also a bit of a domino effect that's going to be happening. There's one thing that happened around privacy, but we all know that the government's going to be intervening more on behalf of the consumer too over time. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing about the government being involved is, is is unlike the EU, which has one specific set of laws that covers the entire European Union, the United States doesn't have any federal legislation today, right? And so it's up to the states to choose how they want to enforce these things. And that makes it extremely cumbersome for data providers. It makes it extremely cumbersome for every everyone operating in the space. And so, you know, going back to to third-party data and how do you coach clients away from that? It starts with an understanding of what was. What used to be is doing lookalikes and and finding other people that kind of look or feel like your existing customer base, you're familiar with this, everybody listening is. What we wanna do now is we want to find the people that are actually using the products or engaged in the products that we're selling or services and engage them in ways that we haven't before. So that could be things like micro surveys. I'm sure you're familiar with that idea. Instead of sending a survey monkey with 30 questions on it, you send a survey with maybe two questions. And you send another one in two weeks and, and you end up with the same 30 answers, but it's not as much of a burden on the consumer. And that gives you a, a lot of data, a lot of things that you can target, a lot of mechanisms and triggers you can pull. And the other thing is, is asking those existing customers, you know, for referrals. And so there are referral programs and affiliate programs and all these different things that you can do to engage friends of friends. And so you're not you're not actually searching for lookalikes, you're actually... <laughs> You're having your customers bring them to you, which is really nice. And then, of course, you you know you have all the the data usage policies and those kinds of things laid out, so everything is you know buttoned up. But I think those are those are probably really very simple things that you can do. Leveraging email and segmenting and doing all those things are other buckets that I think a lot of clients don't understand. We have a multi-billion-dollar customer who who has a nice giant email list, but up until about six months ago, they weren't segmenting. And so every time they would send an email, they would send it to the entire list. Like that's just not an efficient way to use to use data. And so what you do is you kind of figure out what the clicks are, you create the buckets and the segments and those things, and you refine that message, which increases obviously the click-through rates and engagement and so on. So leveraging the existing things that you have in it with a different kind of an angle or a different pitch can really help. I agree. We're seeing a lot of it. In our technology, we built what we call progressive profiling, and it's essentially yep, the, exactly. the micro surveys yep. that you're talking about. And in, it can be delivered in really fun, interactive ways. So some of our clients are using it. Somebody logs in and they get these images and do you like this? Do you like this? And so it's you know, thumbs up, thumbs down kind of things, which is yep. which I think also makes it the interaction with the brand do stronger. And we've certainly seen that the more that somebody interacts with your brand, in addition to transacting, those people will be spending more and will be stronger advocates too. So it, yeah. it all ties together. Interestingly, that that technique that you're describing is also how we train large language models. Oh. Oh, there you <laughs> go. Is this a car? Yes, it's a car. <laughs> but no, that's that's great. Like so, so segmented, you know, segmented engagements like that. Because the attention span of, of today's consumer is just, it's super small. And, and when you segment that by age, right, the younger, the younger, the more kind of like, let's, let's keep moving here. Things that you want to put in front of them versus 
you know, actors like us might have a little more patience with a longer engagement. I guess switching gears a little bit as as we were talking in like a, a safari search and some different things that are going on with Apple and that maybe brands don't understand, but probably worth sharing with those of us. As to, and then like, what's changing? How is it changing? And is there anything we can do about it? Or does that just drive us back to the first party data story again, too? Yeah, one of the one of the interesting things that's happened is, is that Apple as a company has really taken it upon themselves to try to shape what uh, privacy looks like from a consumer standpoint and from their devices and operating systems. And with the release of, of iOS 17 just a couple of days ago, one of the features that was introduced was this. It, it's basically when you're in Safari, you have private browsing mode. I think all, all browsers have this now, right? New private window, you open this thing up, you don't want to be tracked. Well, what happens is, is, is sometimes you are tracked, right? So if you have a private browsing window open and you're in Chrome, for example, and you click a link in email, or you copy a link in email and you paste it in your private browsing window, that that click ID actually still goes to the brand, whatever you clicked on. So if you if you copied and pasted the Facebook click ID, that click still goes to Facebook and it lets you know who that user was. With Apple, if you're in private browsing mode and you click that link, it removes the Facebook click ID. And so Facebook no longer knows the user. All the UTM parameters are still there, so you can track the campaigns efficient, efficiently, but you don't know which user clicked that link. And that's the same across Google and all the other things that are kind of common. I think over time, what we're going to see is the more nuanced, the smaller IDs that we're not familiar with. Like Dallas Morning News, for example, has a, a link tracking ID that's not removed. Um, so because Apple doesn't know about it yet. So you, you know, ah, at some point in time, how does that happen? <laughs> at some point in time, they're going to know about this, this click ID from Dallas Morning News. It's very specific and they'll remove that too. Right. So I think that will grow. But I think the more important part here is that. We've got to divide ourselves when we're in this space between we, the user, and we, the the vendor, right? What we want as a vendor is we want all the data and we want it now. And as a, as a consumer, we don't want you necessarily to have the data and we don't necessarily want you to have it ever. And so there's this weird line that we have to face as in this space. And what Apple's doing is they're putting the consumer first and, the, and part of the you know, part of the story told in the media is that sure, Apple Apple does this, but Apple also has their own nefarious reasons for doing that, which they have their own ad network and they have their own things inside of their their company. The thing that, that pe most people are missing is, is maybe that's the case, but Apple also anonymizes data when they use it, right? So they'll, they've got a whole privacy policy. You can go read it and kind of figure out what it is. What they're trying to do, though, is really protect the consumer, I think. I believe that based on what I've seen in the market. So email tracking, the, you know, the hide my IP address, all those things kind of built into the platform. It's pretty wonderful as a consumer, but as a, as vendors, we just need to be able to account for those. So your open rate and email, for example, Apple has, has completely changed the way that works. Now your emails are automatically marked as red in the middle of the night when you're connected to Wi-Fi and power. It's not when you actually opened it, those are no longer relevant. So we're just having to change the way we operate. That's interesting. As you were talking too, and this is my ignorance, as consumers, I think we do want our privacy. But I also think that especially different generations, as I hear, <laughs> are willing to give their data to certain companies, the ones that they trust and the ones that they feel are truly being good stewards of their data. 
has the pendulum swung too far in one direction? So now like it's an all or nothing, or is there still some flexibility that myself as a consumer, I can do this or is it just that fact that my search stuff is always going to have to be private, but then I'll have to go above and beyond and actively give my data if I want them to have it? So part of the, just looking here real quick to see if I can find this, there's actually a, a segment in your system settings. I don't know if you're an Apple user or an iPhone user or not, but if you go to settings and then you go to privacy and security, there is a an option that is tracking. And there's a, a slider box there that says, allow apps to request to track. And basically what that means is, instead of blanket saying, no, you can't track this user, you can allow each application to request the ability to place advertising IDs on your device to be able to track you. And the thing is, is by default, that switch is off. So if you do want to allow, you know, Facebook or Google or any one of any one of those, you can actually allow them in your system settings. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But I think Apple's default is protect. Protect. Um, yeah. And if and if you know as a consumer that you're you want to engage, you always have the ability to turn that back on. And as far as what we were talking about before with the click IDs and Facebook and all those things, that only applies. It's really important to understand that only implies only applies to private browsing mode. It's not your regular Safari window. Although Safari and other browsers have started to block advertising and certain tracking cookies and things like that. I think that really kind of points to the cookie-less future, right? Right now, people are trying to track lots of things you do through third-party cookies, and that is all about to change pretty significantly. It's been something that's been on the horizon for a while, but yeah. there hasn't been a solid push to make that happen. And I think Google's latest announcements with topics have really kind of lit the fire again for having people understand what that means. Makes sense. And before we move off of this topic of, I guess, your privacy tracking, those kinds of things, anything else you want to share? Add. I want to move in and ask you some other questions around what innovation means in your title and, and the things that you guys do. Yeah, it's a quickly moving space. You know, we have uh, within the agency, we have something we call points of view, and I'm sure uh, other people do it too. And one of the things that I was tasked with is kind of keeping an eye on this privacy space and permissions and you know all the things that affect our consumers for the brands that we operate with. And so we have several points of view out on this. And I hadn't done one in a while because it seemed like that space had not stagnated, but but the news hadn't changed a whole bunch, right? Mm. Up until up until this topics announcement and Google Chrome 115 last week. But that's a significant one. So if if anybody's you know watching or interested in this, go look at the the features that were introduced with Google Chrome version 115, and you'll see that the topics thing has has resurfaced, which is interesting. I think it's 495 different topics that a website can choose to be a part of. The brands have to, you know, specifically say that these are the topics that we engage in. And then, you know, advertisers can look at your history of the topics that you've engaged with in your browser. The browser tracks what topics you're interested in. It doesn't track who you are, but it will inform the advertiser what topics you're interested in, which is interesting. And you can manage those as a, as a consumer in an interface. Oh, wow. But that's it. That's that's probably the most important thing that's happened in the, in the past couple of months regarding privacy. Maybe you said this already, but how does a brand then react and handle that? They just make, making sure that they're going in and, and reviewing what those topics are and making sure that they've got it all teed up that are most relevant for them. Yeah, it does. It actually requires some action by the brand, right? And so if, if you want to define those topics that you your brand you know is is supplying, then you need to go in and make sure that your website reflects that. And all those instructions are there. If, if you're a website developer, you're probably aware of these things and you already know 
um, the Chrome APIs and how to define these things. But they're all available in the release notes for um, Chrome 115. The really interesting thing about this is topics is one way for Google to get away from third-party cookies, but there has been no support from any other browser of manufacturer, Apple's um, Safari or Firefox or any of the other ones. Nobody else has agreed to include topics. So it's it's a Chrome only solution, right? <laughs> of course, they have to be individual. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You look at market share. Remember the the big problem that we had with Internet Explorer and its market share um, being so dominant in the years past. Google Chrome is right back in that spot of being the dominant player. Right. Yeah. Although I heard a lot more people talking about Bing now that it has all the AI attached to it as well. Yeah, chat.bing.com is it's an amazing resource. I use it multiple times per day. Um, but remember that Edge, the browser that's required to use it, is a Chrome derivative. So it's built oh. on Chromium. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's built on Chromium. So is Brave. DuckDuckGo has a browser. I'm pretty sure it's built on Chromium as well, but lots of things are, they have new, different names, but they're built on Chrome. Mozilla and Safari are the only ones that are kind of separate engines. Okay, interesting. Hey, learning stuff every day. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, okay, well, thank you for all of that. Again, switching gears, just selfishly, I'm very curious about in your title, you have the innovation and technology. I think we've talked a lot about technology pieces and obviously innovation when it comes to you, what's happening from the privacy perspective, but I guess what does that mean and what are you seeing and where are you seeing, I guess, companies innovate and how is Tandem Theory helping with that? Yeah, so the title that I have, P Innovation and Technology, has a couple of different connotations or, or implications. So we talked about my history and how I got here today, literally, in building technologies that really didn't exist. If you note, a lot of the things that I talked about became multi-billion dollar industries but I was way ahead of that curve. And I think that's what the leadership in, in the agency saw is you have this ability to put pieces together that haven't yet been put together, right? See what's coming. So, yeah, I see the future. And so that's really what the innovation means on this side is how can we help our clients see also what's coming down the road and help them prepare for it? And, you know, we were talking about things like, you know, Amazon has this really wonderful view in your room feature if you've ever used that before, if you use the Amazon app and you find a piece of furniture or devices, there's actually a little button that says view in your space or view in your room where you click that and it uses augmented reality to allow you to put that device or that thing life size in your space. So you can see it, right? If it's a lamp, you can place it on your tabletop and see kind of exactly how it's going to look in your space. And so we have, you know, a couple of customers that are in the furniture space. And so we've been coaching them along. Let's look at what Amazon's done and see if we can bring that into your brand and and see if we can build some actually loyalty around being able to engage with products right in your in their space. And then, you know, another thing that we had was a loyalty kind of rewards point system where you could uh, have objects appear in augmented reality and engage with them to collect points. So, for example, if you're at home and you get a push notification that says you know, from the brand that says collect 50 points, step outside and, you know, look for this character or whatever you take a take on Pokemon Go. If you if you touch that character through your phone, then you get these points and you can buy things with these points. And so but that only happens with a push notification and then using augmented reality to place a character at the cross streets on the corner where you are. Some really fun things that you can do with this that gets somebody out of their chair, 
are yeah. off the couch and it gets them outside. It gets them some points and it gets some loyalty with the brand. And so these are a couple of the things we talked about, but we're also really encouraging companies to pay attention to the artificial intelligence space, large language models and generative AI and those kinds of things. Not only you know are we using them in the agency, I think as every responsible agency does now, we're completely transparent with the client when we use it. Uh, we, had, we had a situation that was really funny. We had a situation where one of our artists created a generative AI piece and the client approved the generative AI piece, except they wanted to scale it up to a larger um, a larger resolution. And you know, generative AI, that's just not possible. You have to generate it at the size you're going to use it, right? And so every iteration to try to regenerate that piece doesn't create the same thing. So we had to go back to the client with a different piece that was kind of similar, but not exactly the right one at a higher resolution. So just need to be careful um, yeah, when you're using these tools. There's some weird rules that, that we just really haven't had to apply before. So, but innovation is is also you know internal products. So um, one of the things that that we figured out, a client of ours had made some changes to a website. We do a lot of paid media for clients. You know, with paid media, you have landing pages, and sometimes the client makes changes to those landing pages, and they don't really bother to tell you. And so we had a client at one point that decided to do a redirect on the landing page to a different landing page. When they did that. They didn't. They didn't remember to to also redirect the query strings, right? So if you if you think about this, you've got a digital ad, you've got click, it's got IDs and the UTM parameters. You land on a landing page, you get redirected to a new landing page, but none of the attribution comes along with it, and so that's problematic, right? If if we're trying to you know do reporting and, and get attribution for those things, it's not happening. So I took some time and built a product inside. We call it Inspect, and Inspect it's a QA tool. For our paid media clients and it just it simply monitors all of our paid media urls and it makes sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing you know it looks for anything that's not a 200 which is okay like everything's operational and then it reports that back to us through slack so we get real-time notifications when our landing pages that we're sending paid media to aren't doing what they're supposed to do that's another thing that innovation um, yeah. title goes to and great points how can you be more efficient internally as well as on behalf of your clients I love it. We might have to talk to you about that. <laughs> I'm sure we make those. Change. I'm sure we make those mistakes all the time at Annex Cloud. But I also I really like the other innovation pieces that you were talking about because we one of the trends that we talk to brands about a lot is how to extend your brand beyond let's call it your brick and mortar or your you know your four walls or your digital presence. Like if someone's actually shopping with you. They're there, they're present, but how do you keep your brand top of mind at other times? And being able to yeah, go on the scavenger hunt out, <laughs> get up off the couch, go for a walk and go find something. It'd be a really cool concept for a shoe manufacturer, right? Like yep. just get up and go. You don't have to go far, go a couple blocks and you've added more stuff and then you've made it fun and interactive and builds that emotional bond with, with that, with that brand. So very cool concepts and ideas. Looking forward to seeing more of those. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've learned a ton. As we go to wrap up, anything else you'd like to share? Anything we missed? You know, at this point, it may or may not be related to, to loyalty, but I would really pay attention to the announcement that Apple made with the Apple Vision Pro. That's going to change a lot of the way consumers interact with brands. Today, you know, things are in a mostly in a 2D space. You think about browsing a website or looking at your phone and looking at a 2D space. Pretty soon, if you look at a lot of the, the applications that are being built for that device, it really puts things into a much more 3D and immersive space. And the thing that Apple Vision Pro does that none of the other devices have seemed to accomplish 
is the quality aspect of it. What you see through the screens and what you see through the headset is it mirrors reality and nobody's been able to pull that off yet. And so when you think about these little augmented reality rewards kinds of things that we just discussed, putting those into a 3D space around you is going to be something that people really need to pay attention to a lot. That wow. you're talking about you're talking about a, a change so profound that what is a computer anymore? And you really start to think about what sort of an impact that has on your brand presence and what sorts of things and opportunities you can do with that. So I'd pay attention to that space too. Wow. I spent a bunch of time in that that minute in virtual reality space. Truly fascinating. And the technology is finally here that we can start to see some of this stuff come to the average consumer. Well, so, and I have to believe if if you start to think about personalization. And so you could do something generic is, is the way I was originally thinking about it as you were talking about it, thinking about some of the things, I don't know, like Vans does with some of their, they've got some really cool interactive experiences. The way you're talking about it, if it's actually can be personalized based on the data you have about me, it's a whole new ball game. It's profound. It really is. It's, it's a new generation of compute. And every time this happens, there's a lot of, a lot of doubt in what's coming. If you look at what Apple did with the iPhone when, you know, you had your Crackberries and you had your your little slider smartphones and then Apple announces this thing that's just a, it looks like glass. Well, now everything looks like glass. And so just, it's one of those times again. Absolutely. Oh, super interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that. Of course. And yes, we will have you back to talk more about that. Thank you. <laughs> you bet. You bet. Anytime. Um, one last thing. People are as fascinated by this conversation as I've been. Can they get a hold of you? How could they get yeah, a hold of you? Absolutely. The email address is probably the simplest thing. It's michael.sitarzewski at tandemtheory.com, which I'm sure we'll spell out and put in the, in the I will do that. Notes. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. I'm rely on, no phonetics on that one. But yeah, tandemtheory.com. And then, of course, that email address is always happy to answer an email that comes there. Okay, terrific. Well, thank you. We'll yeah, put that in there. And thanks so much for your time. This is fascinating. Indeed. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Get Personal with Loyalty. Join us next time for more loyalty insights. Until then, dare to dream. Let Annex Cloud help make your dreams a reality. Visit AnnexCloud.com. See you soon.